Germany's social market economy combined free markets with a strong welfare state. It becomes the social democratic party. Yes, we can. Education, education, and education. Hello and welcome to the Centre Think Tanks podcast, the Centrist podcast. I am your host, Will Barber-Taylor. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Matthew Hulbert, the democracy spokesperson for Centre, as well as a Lib Dem councillor and vice chairman of Barwell Parish Council. Welcome to the Centrist podcast, Matthew. Great to be with you, Will. Thank you. Um, so the first question that I'd like to ask is, what made you attracted to being um, the democracy spokesperson for Centre? Yeah, so I've been with Centre for, for a little while now and have been involved regionally with them here in the um, East Midlands. And first of all, you know, it, I've had a really fantastic welcome from um, the, the good people at, at Centre and uh, a great bunch of folks. Um, and they're doing fantastic work coming up with really good policy solutions for some of the really big challenges that we're facing as a country uh, at the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, I wanted to get involved, you know, I haven't been involved regionally, which is fantastic, very proud of uh, my beloved East Midlands, but um, I wanted to kind of get involved with them nationally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spoke to Torin, the director, about what roles they had available. And it just seemed a really good fit for me. Number one, because... Um, you know, I'm absolutely a champion of fair votes. I mean, you'd mm-hmm. expect me to say that as a Liberal Democrat, but, you know, even besides my party political affiliations, I, I absolutely think it's just the right and equitable thing to do, that every vote should count properly, which it doesn't yeah, in many elections at, at, at the moment, certainly in England. Um, and also, you know, the fact that I've been a borough councillor and am now a, a parish councillor, obviously there's a strong local government aspect as well so it mm-hmm. just seemed a, a really good fit and thankfully the executive of centre agreed and i'm now in that role mm-hmm. yes absolutely and you're doing uh wonderfully in that role uh from what i can uh gather from uh, what i've seen you've been doing with um centre and what other people have been saying as well but i know on, on that um uh, notes to do with voting and um, proportional representation. I know you're also involved with the uh, Make Votes Matter Alliance, which Centre is also um, a part of. Could you just tell us a bit about that and how you got involved with um, Make Votes Matter? Yeah, so the, there's two, two parts to that, really. So I was involved with Make Votes Matter anyway. Um, I helped um, establish Make Votes Make Votes Matter. Not easy to say that, is it? Uh, make <laughs> Votes Matter. Um, uh, councillor network. Um, so I've been involved in that for, for a little while, which is really good. We have lots of councillors from across the political um, spectrum, including some conservatives um, who uh, are part of that MBM uh, councillor uh, network. And that's really championing the need for um, uh, fair votes and PR on our local councils and, and really making sure that that is at the, at the top of the agenda. Um, so I was involved with MBM anyway, and then when I became democracy spokesperson for the centre, Torin told me that um, that would mean, therefore, that I would be centre's representative to the Make Votes Matter Alliance. Now, what that is, is is literally what, what it says. It's all the different organisations that um, support uh, PR or, or have an interest in they wanting to be a change to the voting system uh, meet uh, every so often um, via Zoom that we're also uh, used to now um, and just talk about what the, the latest issues are, what the latest mm-hmm. actions are that we can all get involved in to help promote 
the need for PR. I mean, sadly, I'm afraid to say that that this Tory, go- Tory government seems to want to be rolling back on the PR elections that mm-hmm. we that we do have, and they yeah. want to return to first past the post for things like mayoral elections. Um, and I mean, whatever you think of the mayoral role, and we can perhaps talk about that in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, of course, in in our opinion, in the opinion of uh, MVM, you know, no. Uh, no election that, that is PR at the moment should be going back to, to first past the post. I mean, you know, I'm afraid it just seems a purely party political motive behind that from the Conservatives that um, they think they stand the best chance under first past the post. And actually that is debatable because in, in other parts of the country, the Tories will actually benefit from PR, but they don't mm-hmm. seem to recognise that. Um, so it does seem it's a purely party political thing from them, which I just think is really disappointing. Mm-hmm. Now, on the um, you mentioned mayors there, and in the recent levelling up paper that um, white paper that Michael Gove presented to the House of Commons that has been published, in between all the the bits about the Renaissance and um, Jericho, there was a proposal to include um, more mayors across. Um, the United Kingdom, in some instances, seemingly um, somewhat illogically combining particular areas. For example, there's a, a proposed mayor for um, Hull and East Yorkshire, even though that there are separate um, councils for those areas. And there's quite a lot of debate in that particular area as to whether a single representative for two quite distinct areas would be um, a good thing. But on this point of the uh, potential for introducing more mayors, which the Conservatives are keen to do uh, through this white paper. Do you think that having more mayors would actually help local communities as the government is arguing? Or do you think it would simply create another layer of bureaucracy which would not actually stand up for local people but would merely serve as a means of saying that the government were helping local communities? I think it's an an unnecessary extra um, layer of government mm-hmm. and i don't think there are calls from it for it now you know i appreciate that you have one or two high profile mayors. uh so you know i'm thinking of andy burnham uh in greater manchester i'm mm-hmm. thinking of, of, of ben houchin uh mm-hmm. around around gateshead in that area that yeah i mean they absolutely they're, they're very visible in the media and um, how much they really deliver i'm not sure and you know i wouldn't claim to comment because i don't live in either of those Mm-hmm. region but they they certainly do talk a good game for their local areas and you know i'm sure for the people who live in those areas it's good to see that there's someone championing their area it's what you'd expect mps to be doing but you know mps don't seem always to um necessarily do that um uh and so from that perspective people might say oh well you know i guess broadly speaking having a mayor has, uh, has been a good thing but there mm-hmm. are lots of other mayors that we never ever hear of that we never know what their uh, doing, but don't seem to do a particularly good job of championing their uh, the areas that they're elected to uh, represent, and that actually have very few powers. Um, mm. uh, and 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 it does just seem to be a little bit jobs for the boys, you know. Um, mm. And I think what we what I certainly advocate is you know, proper devolution for local communities and local communities being empowered. And that doesn't necessarily mean, um, you know, more political structures being created. That means properly devolving power and trusting citizens to be able to know what's best for their uh, local areas. And Mm -hmm. I just don't think this Conservative government has any concept of what that might mean. 
Um, now, that absolutely takes some thinking through about, about how that would work. But I think the idea that politics is something that always has to be done to people rather than being something that actually we can work with communities to find what the best solutions are mm-hmm. for those local areas. I, I think that is absolutely the best way to um, level up, for want of a better phrase, mm-hmm. yeah. um, uh, areas. Because I just think, you know, the trouble is, I mean, you know, I have to say that, um, you know, I thought the best response to Michael Gove yesterday came from Lisa Nandy, the uh, the Labour shadow um, levelling up secretary, when she said that this was just a, um, his, his paper was just a hodgepodge of, of reheated policies, some going back to the days of Gordon Brown as prime mm. minister. So, you know, um, I, I think the idea that there's... The Tories obviously decided that levelling up was a great phrase for them, and I agree, I'm sure it won them some vote. I, 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 in those red wall seats, I, I'm sure that people, albeit I obviously say mistakenly, thought that um, the Tories really believe this and they sound as if they're going to do something and it's about time our area was levelled up. Mm. Um, but but there doesn't seem to be anything, no any substance behind the rhetoric. Um, and, um, you know, that's why we're seeing polling in these um, red wall seats that makes me think that unless the Tories do something fairly urgent, the whole swathes of those seats will be going back to Labour, which I have to say, for those of us who... who um, want to see an, an alternative uh, government is, you know, I guess would be a good thing. Um, but uh, I, I just think the Tories don't really know how to level up and they haven't actually done a proper consultation about how to do that with the communities that need to be levelled up. Um, and it still seems to be that they think that Westminster knows best and that Whitehall has all the solutions. And I think we've come to say over time that that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, you mentioned um, devolution there and Centre advocates for a uh, federalisation of the UK, uh, creating a new system of government that would be two levels of devolution, parliaments and assemblies. The first level being uh, nine new assemblies covering all of the um, all of England, apart from Cornwall, assemblies that would have power over regional transport links, social security spending, the arts, agriculture, etc., and then the second layer of devolution, which would be uh, giving uh, more powers to the existing parliaments in Scotland, uh, Wales and Northern Ireland, and the creation of a new Cornish parliament. Now, some people might hear that and think that that sounds perhaps a bit too much like a, a, a balkanisation of um, the UK, that, that perhaps this is going to create too many um, different assemblies and too many different parliaments, etc. What do you think would be uh, the positive case for someone who perhaps isn't convinced that the UK needs to be uh, federalised for the UK to be federalised. What what would you see as the sort of the, the positive argument uh, to that? So my, my personal view is that, um, you know, I think there would need to be, um, now I know we're all kind of sick of referendums after <laughs> <laughs> the, the 2016 uh, um EU membership referendum, but I think there would have to be referendums in those regions before uh, to get the backing of people for mm-hmm. those um, new assemblies and parliaments. I don't think they'd just be forced on people, but I think if we had democratic consent from uh, those regions and could prove that there would be genuine devolution of powers to make those parliaments and assemblies um, or institutions that can genuinely make a difference in those areas, then absolutely this is something that I think um, 
should be advocated for. I think, you know, the argument does need to be made. I think if we probably, if we um, potentially ask those reasons at the moment, you know, do they want this, uh, these new institutions that, you know, we may not get a favourable response. So I think, you know, mm -hmm. it's good that Centre is part of that um, argument. I mean, you know, I have to say, and, and you know, when, when I took on this role, I had a, I, um, had a conversation with uh, Torian because obviously, you know, I inherited a lot of um, policies with, which Centre have um, agreed on, the vast majority of which I wholeheartedly agree with, mm -hmm. but, but one or two that, that, that I personally would differ from. Um, and, you know, Torian said to me that, um, you know, uh, you know, there's not a centre whip. And as long as I make clear that my personal views are my personal views, that's no problem. One of the things where I feel that um, I'd like to see a change in centre policy and something that I'm hoping to write a paper on to hopefully be able to convince um, uh, fellow members that mm -hmm. a change is needed is that um, centre at the moment has a policy that it would get rid of parish and town councils. Now, um, uh, as you may know, well, I'm a great advocate for mm -hmm. yes, uh, of course. I, I am a parish councillor. I'm on the um, on one of the the national committees of, of NALP, which is kind of the umbrella um, organisation of parish and town councils in England. Um, and I think that you know the the only issue with I mean at the moment, um, uh, Centre advocates only having uh, county councils as the, mm -hmm. the, the the layer of local. Uh, government um, and, and I think the only issue with that is that it would it would take local government away from lots of you know local government would seem a bit more distant than it currently mm -hmm. yeah. is and I think um, I mean I personally think there's an argument for keeping district and borough councils too but if we just put that to the side at the moment if we were to get rid of district and, uh, and boroughs um, then I think uh, and, and kind of only have a council council I, I do personally think that we need to keep parish and town councils in you know your local village and, and, mm. and, and town um so that people can feel that there's some level of local government that, that they can reach out to uh, if there's an issue with a pothole in their road or or or, or if um uh you know something needs improving in a local park or whatever the idea that that all needs to be done uh, at county council level, mm -hmm. I, I don't think necessarily um, is, is is right. But I absolutely respect what centre members have agreed. But I will, as, at some point <laughs> in the day, be, be advocating for uh, a change in that policy, and, and and we'll see how that goes. But but uh, but mm -hmm. I, you know, I will personally always believe that there's a need for um, strong parish and town council. Mm -hmm. And I think what you've really um, uh, very well expressed there, uh, Matthew, is that Centre is uh, an organisation that has a great deal of debate internally and is open uh, to people having discussions of policies that, as, as you mentioned there, there isn't a centre whip, um, that it's merely people who are able to um, have arguments over policies and, and, and to see whether, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that an alternative argument uh, can be made for, which I think is something that is really unique about Centre as a think tank, as opposed to to some other think tanks, which are perhaps a bit uh, more set in their ways. Now, something else uh, that Centre advocates for is that if the Prime Minister resigns, um, a new general election should be held because uh, Centre argues that um, the Prime Minister should be accountable to um, the public and that the level of power that uh, Prime Ministers have in terms of appointing the um, Cabinet and having powers that come uh, from the monarch, that means that if they decide... Uh, to resign, then there should be uh, a new general election um, 
with their uh, replacement, obviously uh, contesting to see whether they can get the same mandate as their predecessor. Now, I mean, what do you think of this as a um, policy? Do you do you think that this is something that um, people would get behind? Uh, a lot of people would get behind. It's certainly something I've seen a lot of people advocate for. Or do you think that some people might be worried that um, this policy might uh, perhaps uh, shove the UK more towards a uh, presidential system, which, of course, uh, a lot of people would be uh, opposed to? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because actually our system is fairly unique in that, you know, we don't actually, I know people, you know, talk about electing the prime minister. I mean, in the sense, um, the only people who literally uh, elect the prime minister is the voters in his or her or their seats mm-hmm. um, who, uh, you know, who, who, who get to vote for them as their as one of the candidates in uh, in, in their seat. The, the rest of us only um, indirectly vote uh, for or indeed against um, uh, a prime minister when when we choose how to vote for our local uh, member of parliament. And so and so it's a it, it's it's an interesting you know unlike America that you know they have their presidential election and you vote directly for who you want to be president. Um, across the whole country, we we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do agree, though, that you know we we've seen fairly often now a prime minister um, standing down and, and someone from uh, their party taking over, and then it may be being years before the um, electorate, uh, whether in their own constituency or the rest mm-hmm. of the country, get to yeah. have a say on whether they think that person should be the prime minister or, or or not. And so, I mean, I guess what you know the counter argument would be is that, um, you know, it was their party that was voting for and um, it's someone else from that party that has taken over to be um, Prime Minister. So, you mm. know, whether in the case of you know, Margaret Thatcher giving up and John Major coming in or whether in the case of um, Labour, uh, you know, Tony Blair standing down and Gordon Brown mm-hmm. uh, taking over. Um, and so they'd say, well, our party has uh, a mandate um, and so therefore, you know, there should be be no issue in um, a successor um, becoming the the prime minister. Um, I mean, I think that that is arguable. Mm-hmm. Um, but equally, you know, I, I think people would expect to have a say um, in relatively short order. And as I say, at the moment, it can be years before there's another general election. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's not really acceptable. I mean, I know they have, I'm, I know that, so I'm a big fan of Australian politics, right? Mm, <laughs> and, <yeah. laughs> um, I know that when um, uh, Julia Gillard took over from, uh, removed Kevin Rudd and became mm-hmm. uh, Labour Prime Minister of Australia, that, it, you know, it was only within, a, she, was, she was PM for a few months and then there was an election. Mm-hmm. So it was a relatively short period um, uh, of, of time and between her taking over and, and the public uh, in Australia being able to say whether they wanted her um, in or not. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think, um, you know, I think I've no problem with someone having a little bit of time to say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm now in charge and um, this is what I want to do. But then I would say that there does need to be an election then to, to see whether the the public agrees but as i say we do have this um, this strength system that you know we don't directly vote for a prime minister you know in theory at least we only get to vote for our local um you know out of our local candidates and mm. it's only actually in the seat of the person who um 
or of the candidate of the various, so for example, the seat of Keir Starmer or the seat of um, Boris Johnson at present mm-hmm. that, that would get to vote on for that actual candidate. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, of course, yeah, no, of course. It's, it's interesting as well, the Australian um, comparison, because of course, uh, something um, similar occurred in the transition between Bob Hawke and Paul Keating, didn't it? That where the, um, when Paul Keating uh, eventually uh, deposed Bob Hawke, there was a relatively short time between Paul Keating becoming um, Prime Minister and uh, a, a, another uh, parliamentary election in Australia. But on this point of um, Boris Johnson, I think it's interesting uh, that you mention him, because of course there is a great deal of um, controversy uh, and chatter and talk about him potentially resigning and being replaced by someone uh, within the Conservative Party, or there being a, a leadership uh, contest triggered by a vote of no confidence. If Johnson were to go, whether through an enforced, and it certainly would be enforced, uh, resignation or being defeated in a leadership contest, do you think then that now would be uh, the right time to have a general election or would we have to wait for a couple of years for the general election? Because, of course, uh, the next general election has to occur within the next two years. I mean, I think there's lots of spec- there was already lots of speculation that, that the election um, is likely to be kind of May time next year. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that certainly when, when I were um, to the best ability of my um, Predictive abilities um, assume that there would be uh, an election. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I mean, if you know, if for example, um, all the letters went into the 1922 committee and there was and there was a, a, a Tory leadership contest, and another person was elected Tory leader, like within the next couple of months, do I think that do I think that it, um, just over a year is 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 too long to wait for them to get an endorsement? Yes, it probably is. I mean, as I say, I think it should be within. Um, well, no more than six months is, I guess, what I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, between someone taking over and, and then seeking an, an endorsement from the um, electorate, do I think that's not likely to happen under the Tories? No, I don't. But to be bluntly honest, I mean, who, mm-hmm. you know, should those circumstances occur, I would expect that the person would see out um, at least the next year, if not probably the next two years, what, you know, want to take it the full term because um, it may be that we that the public decides they've had enough of the Tories then and that person mm-hmm. will want the maximum time to have been Prime Minister, you know, uh, even if it, even if it's just a couple of years. Um, but, um, I mean, to, you know, democracy is that is a strange thing. I mean, on the day that we're recording this, look at what's happening in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. It looks yes. like the, the First Minister of Northern Ireland, Paul Gibbon, or Paul Gibbon, as what uh, people are, are crowning him today, um, is, is set apparently to resign the post, which um, means that um, the executive falls, which means that the assembly is no longer up and running. Um, and yeah, it's only you know um, uh, a few months until they were due an election anyway. But those were important months that stuff could have been done um, by the executive and by the uh, assembly. And for again, what I what appears to be, and you know, I appreciate I'm saying this from England. I don't claim to be uh, an expert in Northern Ireland politics, but from, from what seems to be purely party political reasons, um, the DUP are, are, are set to, um, you know, close down those institutions uh, for a while. Um, uh, and so, I mean, I think, you know, the, the trouble is at the moment, and to be fair to um, the Lib Dems running coalition, we did try and resolve this with the, certainly at UK level, with the with the Parliament Act, in trying to say that, you know, it shouldn't be the political whims of um 
party leaders and the, the current prime minister to be able to say when an election is. It should be mm-hmm. at a set time after so many years. Um, but then, but then again, I guess that goes against what we're saying at centre that if there's a change of prime minister, there should then always be an election. I mean, maybe that something like that could be worked into to such a framework as well. But mm-hmm. I think at the moment, it's too much the case that whoever is the present you know, prime minister in the UK case or first minister in some of the devolved um, devolved assemblies, um, you know, is able to say whether or not. Um, an election needs to be held. And in the case of Northern Ireland, which I accept is a special case given it, its history, and that's why the institutions have been set up as, as, as they have. But the first, and indeed the deputy first minister, is able to collapse the institutions whenever they want. And, and actually, for the people of Northern Ireland, and I, you know, I have some friends who, who, who live in NI, I know the exasperation they feel um, at the fact that, um, you know, as happened a couple of years ago and that seems to be happening now, the institutions can just fold. Mm. Um, and, and, and they're without a, a, a government, uh, you know, locally um, that's able to make decisions on health and education and justice and all the rest of it. Um, and, you know, I guess I would say this, wouldn't I, being of the liberal tradition, but I think, um, you know, the, the best minister in these aisles over the, um, the past couple of years has been Naomi Long in Northern Ireland of the Alliance Party, the, the justice minister. And she's been doing some really important work on justice issues. Um, over there, especially in terms of um, focusing on violence against women and girls, and etc. Et um, and you know, she'll no longer, you know, if the institutions are collapsed today, she'll no longer be the justice minister. She'll no longer be able to to, to do that work. And, and I just think, you know, you, you can't have a situation, surely, where at the whim of at the political whim of um, party leaders, institutions are allowed to fold and so i mean that's just an example of how you know our democracy as wonderful as it is could be made better and you know we could have a written constitution you know we we, we could have um fixed term parliaments and unless there's a change of prime minister we we, we could have all of these things but uh, we could have fair votes we could have votes at 16 you know we we could have lots of things that would make our democracy better but at the moment, there doesn't seem to be the political will, certainly from the present um, UK Tory government, to, to make those things happen. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's important, actually, you know, this is why I'm privileged to, to be in this role as democracy spokesperson for Centre, because I really hope, um, uh, you know, along with colleagues at Centre, to be able to be a significant voice in championing those things that would make our democracy better. Mm-hmm. And one of the um, proposals that um, is part of the democracy um, brief that Centre advocates for that would certainly engage people more in um, politics is something called initiatives, which are currently used in some uh, states in the United States. And the idea is, is that if a petition is set up and 5% of the UK electorate sign for it, there will then be a vote in the House of Commons on that particular proposal, whether as a, a bill or an amendment to a bill, uh, et cetera. Now, um, how do you think something like this uh, would work? And to what degree do you think it would be um, popular enough for people to, to really engage with it if they thought that if they signed this, then it will actually uh, potentially become uh, a piece of legislation and in fact end up being um, the law of the land? I mean, I think that this could be... Um potentially empowering for the citizens of this country. And, you know, I'm absolutely an advocate of 
Um, it, you know, in, in, in fact, well, just to tell you what my, um, should just get it on the record here, that, that my five priorities as democracy spokesperson for centre are, one, campaigning for fair votes, two, calling for an increase in funding for councils, three, working for empowered, empowered citizens in strong communities, four, championing um, the vital work of parish and town councils, and five, supporting votes at 16. So, so those are the things that, that I hope to mm-hmm. um, focus on during my time. And in terms of number three there, which is working for empowered citizens in strong communities, one way for people to feel empowered and part of the democracy that they are a part of is, as I said earlier, to, to, to trust them with more um, decision-making. Now, you know, I think that has to be done in a responsible way. You know, we do elect our uh, MPs. They are not delegates, they are representatives, and I think that's important. They ultimately have to make their own mind up um, about the things that they have to vote on and the legislation that they propose, etc. But do I think that they should be more, for example, citizens' assemblies? Yes, I absolutely do. Do I think that there um, should be more ways for... Um, members of the public to have a meaningful say here um, in what happens and ultimately then yes the elected representatives either agree with that or or, or they don't and then the, and, you know and if they don't they have to accept that they may be voted out of the, <laughs> of the following um, election but I mean I think this has to be handled sensitively because for example I mean the old argument is Will is that and I don't know if this is still the case actually I think it probably isn't but but often when you make these arguments about empowering the public what you hear back is, oh, well, if, you know, if that's going to be the case, then the death penalty will be brought back because mm-hmm. most people believe that um, there should be you know, the death penalty. Now, number one, I don't think most people do think that, but mm-hmm. even if that was the case, well, if that's what most people think, then they would be able to put that to, uh, to, to Parliament and, and Parliament, you hope then, would actually do, say that it disagreed and not agree, mm-hmm. but the people yeah. would have had their voice uh, uh, heard and the Parliament would have um, made its decision. But for example, looked at another way um, you know, uh, there could be a petition that most people sign saying we should have votes at 16. And obviously, you know, that would be something which I'd like to see Parliament agree. Now, whether it would or not would depend on the, the numbers and the arithmetic in, in Parliament at, at, at any one time. But I think, you know, you, we either trust we either trust citizens or we don't. Mm-hmm. And I think, if, and I think, broadly speaking, we should. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know. It, it does also mean something else, though, is that it does mean we need proper political education, at, you know, at school. Um, we do need to ensure that our citizens are, you know, are even if they're not interested in a politics on, on a day-to-day basis, like me and you and many others are involved mm-hmm. in centre, that, that they do have a kind of good understanding of, of what the issues are if they're being asked their, their view on a more regular basis about issues. Uh, I think we do need to ensure that, and that's part of kind of lifelong political education, not just at school, but in adult learning and all the rest of it. Um, but do I think that, broadly speaking, we should be trusting people more to know what's best for their own lives and their own communities? Yeah, I absolutely do. That. I mean, I think, you know, the, the trouble is with politics sometimes is that, apart from at election time, when, when suddenly politicians think that the general public are the best things in sliced bread, but the rest of the time, actually, they rather look down their noses at um, most members of the public. And actually, I think when politics gets like that, that's when cynicism is really bred and when, sadly, extreme fringe elements in politics become much more uh, attractive, even though, you know, they, they sh- even though, you know, what they offer is a kind of a crock of, well, you know what. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
so, but I think that too much of the, the school has looked down their noses at um, kind of ordinary folk, and I even hate that phrase, but you know what I mean. Um, uh, and so I think, you know, we it has to be done properly. It has to be properly thought through. But would I give members of the public more of a voice to at least be able to say what they think is important? And then ultimately their elected representatives either agree or they don't. But yes, I absolutely do think that, and I'm pleased that the centre is an advocate for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, one of the other uh, big issues that centre has been um, firmly advocating for is an independent complaints uh, process, which would cover all political parties, meaning that rather than um, complaints against uh, political parties being dealt with internally, they would be dealt with by an entirely um, independent uh, group of people who would look at the um, seriousness of the complaint and obviously deal with it in in, in some way um, that perhaps, as as often has been the case, political parties have failed to do. How important do you think it is that there is a complaints process which is completely separate from the political parties that individuals or groups of individuals might be complaining about? I think it's really important and I think all political parties, sadly including my own, have shown themselves over a period of years to be incapable of being able to deal with um, complaints in a proper way and in a way that is fair and independent and um, takes accusations seriously but then thoroughly mm-hmm. investigates them and, and either finds them to be right or, or you know or, or, or not. Um, and I think that we've seen too many cases um, in all parties over the years that, that they're not able to deal with them in And so I think there does need to be something uh, independent set up, but it does need to be properly independent. And I guess the difficulty would be is that how do you find people who don't have some kind of bias? Um, mm. uh, I mean, whether it's going to be made up of... Um, you know, court justices or something like you know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that needs to be to be to be thought through. But certainly, on the point of principle, absolutely back the idea that there should be um, an independent kind of panel or organisation that that people can go to, and that political you know once those uh, people have made their judgment. Um, you know, if it's a judgment of one of a better term, guilty that someone that the, the charge was made against someone, you know, um, a complaint was, is correct and was well founded, that political parties then have to kind of, um, you know, they can have a right to appeal and all of that. But if, it, if mm-hmm. it's all the same, that, that, that those political parties then have to act um, in regards to that person or those people. So, I mean, I think we do need to see that. But do I think it's something at the moment that any party would agree to no I don't because mm-hmm. I think that even though they have proved themselves incapable of sorting it out uh, in-house I, I, I think political parties don't like their um, how can I put it their dark corners to be mm-hmm. exposed to sunlight of the public press and all the rest of it and so I don't think it's something we're, we're going to see anytime soon but again that's why it's important that Centre and others are advocating for it and not letting the issue rest, that we're constantly saying this needs to be done and hopefully one day it will be. Mm-hmm, absolutely, hopefully it will be uh, done one day soon. Well, we're coming towards the end of the podcast, Matthew. It's been great to have you on and I have one final uh, question. If okay. you could make 
uh, one change right now just by uh, clicking your fingers um, to democracy in the UK. What one change do you think you would do if you had the power to just instantly change it like that? I'm not going to allow me two changes. <laughs> All right, two. Okay, two. So my two changes would be the fair votes for all elections, so PR for all elections. And I know that we then get into the question of what PR. I'm not so bothered about that at the moment mm-hmm. as much as the broad principle of PR. So I'd, so I'd have fair votes for all elections and I'd have votes at 16 because actually I think, I know some people say, oh, 16-year-olds aren't old enough and they're not educated enough well i'd say that some people much older than 16 <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, yeah absolutely um, I, I i can see no good reason at all for not allowing 16 year olds who can do so much other things at, at, at 16 um uh including you know if they've left school and got a job pay taxes mm-hmm. the ability to be able to vote for the people who set those those taxes for them mm-hmm. um and so that would be my two things mm-hmm. absolutely well two truly consequential changes uh which i'm sure center and all the people who are part of center uh, will hope will be made soon well thank you once again for coming on the podcast matthew if people want to find out more about you where should they go to find out more about you well, um uh, twitter is probably the, the the best place um and i'm at matthew halbert and you just have to remember that my matthew is with one t so at matthew halbert on twitter excellent thank you once again for coming on the podcast thanks will